You are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine, and broadcast on 1310 AM Portland, streaming live each week at 11 AM on WLOBradio.com and available via podcast on drlisa.org. Thank you for joining us. Here are some highlights from this week's program. When you exercise, your painkillers and your anti-inflammatories in your blood system go up by 600% and you don't really feel that you need to have these other things. Your muscles feel better, your bones feel better, you feel uh, more vitality. And it's just so simple. It just it, it blows my mind that everybody isn't into this. It's kind of like an aha moment where you go, oh, wait, and there's an opportunity. I used to think as a designer you want to go into your corner and make your cool thing and then bring it out. And the reality is, is the best process, the most open process to kind of growing and being special to everyone is a collaborative one. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the generous support of the following sponsors. Maine Magazine, Tom Shepard of Hersey Gardner Shepard and Eaton, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Whole Foods Market, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, the University of New England, UNE, and Akari. Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Belial, and welcome to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast for November 27th, 2011. This is our 11th show, and our theme is vision. The important thing about vision is being able to see things from many different angles. Often, we're only able to see what lies directly in front of us, and we miss the things that are perhaps to the side of us or even behind us. If we can be like an owl and maybe turn our heads all the way around and see everything at once, or maybe just little bits and pieces, one piece at a time, then it dramatically improves our ability to be well and healthy in the world. Today we're going to pull together some visual themes as we bring on three very special guests. We'll start with Dr. John Herzog, who is an orthopedic and osteopathic specialist. We'll then go on to speak with Will Winkleman, an architect recently profiled in the Maine Home and Design magazine. And we'll finish up with our Give Back segment featuring Dr. Stephen Goldstein of Casco Bay Eye Care. We hope you enjoy this show on vision, and we hope it will help you improve your own vision in the world. Thank you for joining us. And each week on the Dr. Lisa radio hour and podcast. I'm joined by my co-host Genevieve Morgan as we deep dish on subjects like locally grown foods and things that are healthy in our lives. I'm excited about this segment today, Lisa. And do you think perhaps you're excited because I have some food next to me? I am because I'm starving, but I'm also, I'm getting to that age where my, I'm being told that my vision is going to change, that I might be becoming nearsighted. So I want to learn what I can eat to prolong that inevitability. All right. With that semi-depressing thought, let's go on and talk a little bit about vision. <laughs> That's depressing. It happens to all of us. I know. It's true. I don't, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Somebody the other day told me I was middle-aged and I was like, what? I am not done with being young yet. And I actually think that if you eat the right foods, then you don't have to be done with being young. And in fact, studies have shown this. I think you're right. We kind of referred to this in a segment a few, um, 
I'm not sure, a few shows back, we talked about macular degeneration and the importance of beta carotene. Can you explain the term macular degeneration? It's one of those terms we hear all the time, but I'm not sure if we really understand what it is. Well, you have to first think about the structure of the eye, and most of us are familiar with the iris, you know, the colored part of the eye, and then the pupil, which is sort of a hole in the eye, and there's a lens over it. The retina is the part that is in the back of the eye that kind of captures the images, and the macula is right in the middle of that, so it's part of your visual field. So what happens when people age is this macula, this this um, part of the back of their eye, it starts to break down. It's a disease of aging. So what we know is that people who are exposed to you know harsh light over time maybe they don't wear their sunglasses or you know they don't eat the right foods they actually are more prone to having this aging of the back of their eye really diet plays that much of a role diet does play a role and there's a recent study that came out that talked about as we were just saying beta carotene and specifically the the relatives of beta carotene which are lutein and zeaxanthin um, which protect the eyes from fr free radical attack. When we talk about free radicals, these are sort of, um, these are the scavengers of the body. They kind of clean things up around the body. So um, once you've been, once your body is kind of sort of cleaning itself up and you, you have these free radicals roaming about, then they're kind of damaging. So they're damaging to your eye, they're damaging to other parts of your body. And beta I, I, carotene we wrote can, about that, we talked about that in the, about skincare too. Yes. You, it can degenerate your skin as well as your eye. Yes, that's absolutely true. So what we have today from Whole Foods is actually a carrot. We talk about the carotenoids, and that's one of these beta carotenes. And in fact, Whole Foods still has locally grown carrots over there. So I was over at Whole Foods this morning. We have some locally grown carrots. Um, these these carrots are actually very healthy looking. They're kind of, they don't have the long skinny tails to them. And um, I would use these carrots. I talk about slaw a lot in my cooking classes and on my website. I, I make a lot of non-dairy slaw and when you talk a slaw is just a salad so what i will do is i will take some cabbage i will take some carrots shred these up in the food processor and sort of a coarse shred um, and then throw them in with usually some vinegar some lemon a little bit of sweet maybe some honey maybe some um, sauteed shallots uh, and and we come up with a slaw if you let that kind of marry the flavors for a little while it's quite delicious sounds like a good side dish or a condiment crunchy. It, it is and if you add in i like to throw in a few raisins maybe some sunflower seeds or some toasted nuts and it's a good way to get not only the the beta carotene into your diet but it's also a good way to get fiber into your diet good way to get kids to eat cabbage too yeah, and I tend to make my slaw kind of based on my audience. So I will bring my slaw to family gatherings, and if I know there's going to be a lot of kids, I'll make it a little bit sweeter, a little bit more sort of touch of honey and the raisins. And if I know I'm going to be getting more adults, then I'll do more. I can you can actually make kind of a, a spicier slaw. You can add in some pepper, um, and you can do a little bit more with the pungent foods. So the difference between the type of slaw that I do and your traditional coleslaw is that I don't I don't tend to use any dairy in my preparations. So this is a really good way to get this, to get those carrots into your diet. And the cabbage, we've talked about cruciferous vegetables all over again. We like these uh, cruciferous vegetables. They're good for your heart, good for your preventing cancer, all sorts of good things. And sort of nature's, nature's vitamin store, those cruciferous vegetables. Yes. And um, the carrot thing is interesting too, because 
a lot of people, you go into the grocery store and you look at these things called baby carrots. And oh, right, the ones that are packaged in cellophane. and. Mm-hmm. So it's a great gimmick, but chances are what you're eating is not really a baby carrot. Chances are it's little carrot pieces that are taken out of a bigger, bigger carrot. And not a lot of people realize that when they're getting a bag of baby carrots, it, all they're getting is just slightly easier to eat portions of carrots, which is fine if that's what you want for your children or whatever, but you could very easily just peel a carrot and make it into carrot sticks, which is right. what our- and as we've talked to you before, the, you know, one of our big things on this show is the least, the less you process a food, mm-hmm. the better it is for your system. So it's, it seems like those carrots are just protruded through a machine or something. And they are. That's why they're all so little and cute. <laughs> and again, it's fine if convenient. that's, it is very convenient. And I know they sometimes come in packages with some, you know, a little bit of ranch dressing. And it, if that's the only way you can get your kids to eat carrots, then please feel free to do that. Um, otherwise, though, it's, it's probably not entirely worth the cost. But um, the other way that carrots, you can get carrots into people's, specifically children's diets, would be carrot bread or carrot cake. And there are different recipes that are out there that don't require um, the amount of sugar that traditional carrot cake recipes or carrot bread recipes require. You can use a little bit of pineapple, a little bit of pineapple juice. Um, look for the natural sweeteners when you're creating your carrot cake or carrot bread. Now, I have one question about carrots. Do you always have to peel the skin, or can you just wash the skin? Because sometimes that's the big hurdle for me, is I don't want to sit and peel a bunch of carrots. That's actually a really good question, and I think it depends upon if you know where you get your carrots from. We talked about the Dirty Dozen and the Environmental Working Group and the um, pesticide-laden foods. And... If you are buying locally grown organic produce and you know that the farm is in a sort of a not right next to the highway, you know, safe soil, that sort of thing, then you can get away with just taking a nice, strong vegetable scrubber and scrub those carrots and you don't have to peel them. Great, great. Um, the other thing that you can do is teach your children how to peel carrots if you if you are looking to have them eat them because I know that my daughter Sophie she's 10 and she she requires the peel be off so I say that's fine take your carrot take your cucumber and peel away funny how we forget to do that that's such a Uh, simple thing for them to learn how to do I know (laughs) 10 year olds really they have actually even younger they can help out around the house so one thing that I thought I would do this week with regard to um the foods that we're talking about is to bring in a few different resources. I mean, so we've talked about the fact that vision is helped by eating these beta-carotene rich foods, including carrots, and also leafy green vegetables are rich in these sorts of um, nutrients. What I will often do is I will go to a place like Whole Foods and I'll look for something that's locally grown, look for something that's organic, not necessarily with a recipe in mind, especially or if I'm going to, say, a farmer's market or I'm going to a farm stand and I'm trying to get something that's seasonal. I won't necessarily have a recipe in mind. But then when I get it home, I say, oh, okay, what am I going to do with this? Mm -hmm. So I brought a few resources in today, and these are some of my favorites, actually, for cooking vegetables. Um, One of them is Eating Well magazine. I'm familiar with that. That's a great magazine. It is a great magazine. And what I like about Eating Well is that it's, um, well, first of all, I think it's based out of Vermont. Um, But it's, it's, they have healthy um, recipes that don't have a lot of artificial sweeteners in them, artificial colorants. Um, and they're pretty easy for the novice cook. They are. Well, they are. The one, one thing that I stay away from when I'm choosing a magazine that is um, sort of about 
healthy eating is I stay away from the diet-based magazines because some of them will say, add in two packets of, you know, sweet and low, or they'll say, add in some sort of artificial something because they're trying to make something taste like the real thing. Right. Chocolate pudding, light chocolate pudding, L-I-T-E. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's just, it doesn't, it's not really worth it. And Eating Well does a very nice job with that. And they actually have a website that you can go to as well. So Eating Well is a magazine that I subscribe to. I suggest that my patients subscribe to it if they're looking for tips. And they're not predominantly, they're not just vegetarian. They are, um, they have a lot of vegetable-based dishes. And actually this month, not to keep going forward with the eating well but um december 2011 eating well actually has a profile on Gorenson farm which is here in maine and they make they grow potatoes so they're also about locally grown so this is a good resource for people who have the vision to look forward and uh, make themselves good foods i also have another book that was given to me by my friend meg wolf who's a local author and um, cancer survivor who has a macrobiotic diet and this is called greens glorious greens We've spoke about eating greens on a past show, I think. Do you remember when we talked about? We've talked about kale. We've talked about a number of of leafy greens, spinach, Mm -hmm. I think. And arugula. Arugula, yes, for breast cancer. So, yes, we have talked about greens. And mostly people think about eating greens as part of a salad. Mm Mm-hmm. But it looks as if, by the looks of that book, that there's many different ways you can eat greens. Yeah, this is the this is by Jonna Albee and Catherine Walthers, and it says, and there's more than 140 different ways to prepare your greens. Greens are so great for you. In fact, I ate kale this morning before I for my breakfast and raw cooked. Uh, I saute. I put a little olive oil in the pan, and I and I had some pre-washed kale that I just. Um, I had stripped from the little stems, and I just put it in there with a little bit of salt, put the cover on with a little bit of water, put the cover on, sort of let it wilt down a little bit, took the cover off, and then just sautéed it around. And, yeah, so cooked. Yeah. Raw kale, I just don't know that I, I could I was going to say, that's pretty gnarly. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Green's Glorious Grease is another um, resource for you if you want to be eating healthy, if you want to have the vision to be looking forward and putting healthy things into your diet. Um, and finally, the another cookbook that I use all the time, and it's enormous and it's a little bit more pricey, but it's I think it's very much worth it because sometimes vegetarian cookbooks are a little bland. This one is not. It's great. It's um, by Mark Bittman, and he also wrote How to Cook Everything, but this is How to Cook Everything Vegetarian. I love this one. There's soups, there's sauces, there's um, greens, there's carrot recipes. So people who are looking for ways to cook healthy foods, these are the resources that we would recommend. Well, you and I have talked about this privately, that I was a vegetarian for 10 years. And the thing that got me was I just got, I just didn't know how to cook. I got tired of my own cooking. I mean, I was just tending to eat grilled cheese sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that is very common, that people who go vegetarian, especially if they're not vegan, they will end up eating a lot of pasta, bread, and cheese. And that just ends up with a very kind of bland diet, and it's not necessarily all that good for you. So then you're kind of swapping out. It's great you're not eating meat, but what are you substituting? Exactly, exactly. This is why I have these resources. Because when I have patients come in, they will say, well, that's great. You want me to eat kale, but how do I eat it? And I say, here are some resources. I can also refer them to our website, drlisa.org. Our blog has recipes on it. Um, We teach cooking in the Dragon's Way class. I mean, there, there are any number of ways that you can begin cooking healthy. And I think it's important to mention, too, that something else that we've talked about at length, which is 
being vegetarian, you can you don't have to necessarily go 100% vegetarian, but you can start to look at meat differently as more of a condiment and less of the main staple. I was raised partially by an Australian stepmother, and we always had meat, potatoes, and salad. Yes. And I've learned through the wellness stuff that to uh, focus more on the vegetables and less on the meat. Yes, and that's I think that's an important thing to consider. Some people will do meatless Mondays or meatless Fridays, and they'll just decrease their their meat eating by a certain percentage, and that is a great place to start. So adding more beta-carotene-rich foods into your diet, learning how to cook the vegetables that you have, and maybe cutting down on the meat. And if you are a meat eater and you just can't give up all at once, these are all things that you can do as part of your vision for your healthy self. This segment has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market of Portland, Maine, and by the University of New England, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. This week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we begin what we started very recently, our new wellness innovation segment, in which we discuss things that have recently been in the news or events that are coming up that we think might be of interest to our listeners. We learned recently in a Science Daily piece that there is a study out showing that your skin cells actually detect ultraviolet light using photosensitive receptors that were previously thought to exist only in the eye. So this is a fairly appropriate thing given our um, topic of today. The interesting thing is that your skin cells actually are able to detect the sun's rays and the UV rays more quickly and they are able to sort of rush in and protect you in a way that was previously not known about. If you want more information about this, go to the Journal of Current Biology and read more on this study. We look forward to more wellness innovations in the future. And this week's featured guest on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is Dr. John Herzog. Thank you for coming in, Dr. John. Thank you very much for inviting me. So let me tell people a little bit about you. You are a third-generation osteopathic orthopedic surgeon, and your main focus is educating patients on the importance of healthy diet, exercise, and clean air. At your practice, orthopedic specialists, you offer an array of conservative options, including PRP, which is plato Platelet-rich plasma. Oh, thank you. I was going to reread that, but thank you for helping me. Osteopathic manipulation, ultrasound-guided injections, and evaluations of musculoskeletal injuries. This is good stuff. Thank you. It's, that's exactly what I do. Yes, and Genevieve Morgan is sitting next to me, my co-host. Hi, Dr. John. Hi. I love it that I've got Dr. John and Dr. Lisa next to me. <laughs> Does it make does it make you feel safe and well it does. and it makes happy? Me feel very well taken care of. Yes. Good. Good. Well, this show is about vision, and even though you're not an eye doctor, we actually have an eye doctor who's going to come on soon. We thought you were pretty appropriate because I'm reading third generation osteopathic orthopedic surgeon, and you also do this PRP. So you're kind of reaching back into the what we've done in medicine, what we've done well. And you're also reaching forward into technologies that are starting to come into play. So this is why I thought you'd be an appropriate person for this segment. Well, I thank you very much. I, I think you're right on with that 
You agree that you're the good person for this segment. And modesty. We like that. (laughs) Yes. Tell us what osteopathic manipulation is. Well, essentially, uh, it's the original holistic medicine where you look at the whole patient and not just the sprained ankle. Everything is connected. So an osteopath would see that you're limping a little bit and try to help you out with your limp and that in turn would help you with your back and your neck and maybe free up some headaches. So osteopathy has been in my family for generations and I'm very fortunate in that it kind of goes back to common sense and not the use of lots of drugs and surgery. Well I'm an orthopedic surgeon. Of course you do need surgery when you get hit by the bus. But looking at alternatives with vision that are less invasive is pretty much an osteopathic way to go. Just like you mentioned diet, exercise, and clean air. That's the foundation of osteopathic medicine and actually for any kind of medicine, I believe. But it is a little unusual as somebody who's gone into surgery, and I have a sister who's an orthopedic surgeon, it's a little unusual that you've had such a focus on plant-based eating primarily or just healthy eating. Don't, is that true? Am I off on this one? Yes, I, it is a bit odd, I would say. But uh, I came upon it after being an unhealthy person for about 45 years. And then I looked into the research and read a book called The China Study by Colin Campbell. You've all heard of that. Yes, I've read it. It's about plant. Yep. It's plant-based eating. I'd had several medical problems of my own. I'd had several surgeries, and I was quite depressed and a bit chubby. And after reading the book and changing my diet, my whole being changed. I mean, I just had less pain, I had more energy, less depression, uh, get up and go, and I just ran with it and have been on fire ever since. That's been about seven years now. I should mention to people that when you do something, you do it in a big way. What you are known in this area for being the plant-based diet orthopedic surgeon. You brought when you not only read the book by T. Colin Campbell, you brought the guy to Portland, Maine, and he's nationally, if not internationally, known. He actually came on your watch. Yes, I'm very proud of that, and uh, we've become good friends, and we see each other quite often. He's actually a patient of mine. Well, that is even more telling that somebody who's kind of known to be a I don't know if you were allowed to say that from a HIPAA standpoint. We shouldn't but, say that. But we'll just—it's—we'll <laughs> let you—we'll let you get away with it. Our listeners won't tell. So, you also brought with you, and one of the things that we talked about a few weeks ago is the fact that you've become a sponsor of our show, and we talk about plant-based eating a lot. You brought with us something that we've talked about before. What did you bring today? I brought a breakfast cereal that I've got a catchy name that I trademarked. I call it Brainola. The reason I call it Brainola, because it's full of healthy brain alpha-3 omega acids, and it's got all the fiber and all the sugars and complex carbohydrates and fats that you wouldn't need, and it feeds your mind, not your behind. That's a little saying I have on it. Yes, we read that actually a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> we liked that part. We did like the, the not the behind part, so we're, we're glad to hear that the Brainola is actually good for your brain and not made of... Right. Brains. It's totally, that's true. We do amuse um. ourselves sometimes here <laughs> on this show. And that's because we espouse plant-based eating. And we're just like you. Yeah. We're all about the get up and go and the joy that's associated with eating things that are really close to the right. earth. If you eat well, you feel well. I also think it's interesting that the two of you are sitting here. And if we bring this idea of vision, 
to how you both studied medicine. You both had a traditional perspective, and then you used your peripheral, peripheral vision, if you want to call it that, to go outside that very traditional, narrow focus to bring in all these other aspects of healthcare. And I'm wondering, Dr. John, how you see that impacting the future of healthcare, particularly in our state. Well, our state is just a reflection of the rest of the country and the way the world's becoming as a just a, an acceptance that we need to have more and more medical care, we need more drugs, we need more vaccinations, and we need all kinds of things, we think. But the fact of the matter is we're not taking care of ourselves, and that would just be exercising and having a good diet. That's where we start. That's the basis. Uh, I That's see something you can espouse, Lisa. <laughs> yes, I, I'm in complete agreement with that, yes. And as seeing the vision, uh, as a visionary in healthcare, I hope to think I am, along with Lisa, um, if we don't change soon, it's game over. We have one-third of our population that's morbidly obese. One-third of us are just heavy, and then a third of our children are getting diabetes. It's not sustainable. We're throwing all this research and new pills and drugs into a huge vat that's not helping anybody. So if we just learn to go back to basis, like basics like osteopathy, diet, exercise, and clean air, I think we can save us a lot of money. Now, who cares about the money? It's the suffering that we need to take care of. And that's an important point because I don't know how many patients I have referred to an orthopedic surgeon, and they've come back to me with a total hip replacement, total knee replacement, but they haven't lost weight. So then they're back having surgery again, not too long after the first surgery, you know, and that's, and I find that somewhat distressing. Did you find that in your practice when you were doing surgery? Um, certainly, you know, one third of my patients, actually in an orthopedic practice, probably half of your uh, populace is overweight and out of shape. And that's why their uh, bones are wearing out, their joints are wearing out. So, I mean, you can coach somebody and try to be compassionate and explain things, but there's only so many hours in a day. So I find myself out of the surgical theater now and doing more coaching and hoping, you know, actually using this station as a conduit to get out there and get the word out to more and more people that taking care of yourself is the best health policy through a little education. Well, and it seems to me that a lot of the doctors I speak with they they are happier too when they're providing more care like the two of you do. They're not interested in just pushing meds. They really want to do more of the work that both of you guys are doing. It's just it's hard to to stem the tide of 200 years of traditional medicine. Well, it's now traditional almost seems like it's the wrong word. Western medicine, I should say. Well, it's funny you use traditional because it was the tradition back when osteopathy was started. If you had the flu or a bad pneumonia, the doctor would come riding up to your house with his, on his horse and buggy with his little black bag, and he'd come into your house and put a plaster of mustard or mercury on your chest. That was a standard of care. And my saying is that he should have brought a shovel with him because it would hasten your demise. And for some reason or another, we're intrigued with potions and tinctures and all kinds of things that supposedly are going to make us feel good, but it's the furthest thing from the truth. So I think that this mercury analogy is interesting because now we know that mercury is a poison, and yet we used it a lot way back when. And 
these days we're using a lot of medications that are, they have so many side effects and they can ultimately end up poisoning people that they don't do what we're hoping that they will do. And they make people worse. I agree 100%. I mean, one drug we give is to counteract another drug we give that was given because the person wasn't doing their homework, I think, a lot of times. I boldly state that 85% of all drugs ordered are absolutely unnecessary. Well, and that, that is a bold assertion because um, there aren't very many physicians who want to stand up and say, we prescribe too many medications, especially physicians who practice within the standard you know, medical community. Have you gotten pushback for your views? Oh, yeah. I get pushback from patients because they think, well, hey, I need to have some pain pills or I need something because I'm depressed. And I need two pills because I'm depressed. I think that's depressing. I say, listen, we got to start at the bottom here and work our way up in trying to stay away from drugs. And if you're on drugs, you get weaned off the drugs. And hey, I'm not you know, a lunatic. I mean, you need antibiotics when you have a bad infection. And I really think that polio vaccine was a good idea. But I'll go against the swine flu thing that kind of gets fabricated every year. And, you know, the radio stations are scaring everybody. You're going to get swine flu and you're going to have this and you better get it at your local store, etc. I think that's getting pushed more than healthy alternatives. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Akari Salon, an urban sanctuary of beauty, wellness and style located on Middle Street in Portland, Maine's Old Port. Follow them on Facebook or go to akaribeauty.com to learn more about their new boutique and Medispa. And by Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. I think what the two of you are saying and what I know Lisa practices is that the body has an innate healing ability and an innate wisdom that we are sometimes out of touch with because of the way we've been raised in our culture. Is that true? Oh, that's very true. I mean, if you believe the media, I mean, you need to pop this, that, and the other thing, and there's a pill that stops you from doing too much of something or not doing enough of something, and it's just normal that people want to have a quick solution and an easy fix. So I just, through education, I think we can change that whole concept around. I also think that what I see, because I see the question, it feels like it's kind of to both of us, is that there are medications that were developed to be used short term, say an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication, kind of like an antibiotic. Somebody really needs it, they need it short term, and you know they get through whatever life transition it is. If it's something they can't do without medication, but then they're supposed to come off. And I think, unfortunately, people do end up on long-term medications that were never intended for that purpose. Well, I think what happens is you start getting these side effects that any drug is really giving you a side effect. It doesn't affect you positively or negatively. It does make you feel different. But if you understand that your own human bio-custom compounding pharmacy can be turned on high, up to 600% higher just by eating good food and exercising 20 minutes five days a week, 
when you exercise, your painkillers and your anti-inflammatories in your blood system go up by 600%, and you don't really feel that you need to have these other things. Your muscles feel better, your bones feel better, you feel uh, more vitality, and it's just so simple. It just it, it blows my mind that everybody isn't into this. Well, it's so simple. It's difficult, though. I mean, I, I practice this myself. I do. I have my patients practice this sort of thing, and I talk to them about it all the time. But there are some barriers. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. So what are they? Well, the barriers are that you feel so bad you don't want to do anything. And it, you got the clicker, and you just change the channel and sit there and have another bowl of whatever. So laziness is a huge barrier, I think. And people that are, you know have been dealt some bad luck you know they've got a arthritic ankle or knee they did break it skiing when they were a teenager now they're paying the price to understand that the worst thing you could do would be to gain 50 pounds and start eating a bunch of butter and cheese probably has to be more reinforced um, and that would just be changing your diet around maybe reading that book called the China study and starting to do what exercise you can. I mean, if you've got a real bad hip, let's say, you can't go jogging. But you can float around in a pool, or you can get on a recumbent bicycle, or maybe even a uh, light-resisted weight training with a little thing you put in your, on your chair with the pedals. You've seen those on TV? Yes, they're as advertised on TV late night. Yes, right. Well, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, so it's starting where you are, is what you're saying. Exactly. You can't go run the marathon until you do your training. Do you think that this is actually one of the problems that we're dealing with in this country is that we we have to always run the marathon before we actually learn to walk, that we have to do the big things before we actually take the steps to get to those big things? I think that's certainly a, a problem that, that could easily be uh, counteracted with common sense. You know, go try to run around the block. If you haven't done that for a while, you're going to be really sore. How can people find out more about your practice? They can go to my website, orthocareme. So they can learn more about this PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma, and they can learn about ultrasound-guided injections and all the variety of things that you offer in your practice. That'd be great, and I'm taking the time to really have some uh, educational videos put on my website, which explain, you know, about cortisone, inflammation, diet, exercise, and this thing called PRP, which is essentially putting your own blood cells back into an area that's inflamed that's not that's not healing like a tennis elbow or plantar fasciitis so it's best to kind of look at that i think and we won't take up this whole show talking about my prp commercial right but there's information on your website so we'll send people there and we will also link to it off of our website and people who are on facebook who are likers of the dr lisa page they can find you that way we really appreciate your coming in you are a visionary and of course being a supporter of the show we we know that you're a visionary that just backs <laughs> that right up so i'm a risk taker you are but it's calculated and it's going to be well worth it so we appreciate you and joining we're truly us. grateful Thank we you. are very yeah, grateful it's good to have you here i am very pleased and i hope to be here again Thank you. Each week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we feature a segment we call Maine Magazine Minutes, which is hosted by our longtime co-host, Genevieve Morgan. Thanks, Lisa. Today in the studio, we have Will Winkleman, who is an architect and has been practicing for 29 years. You've been registered in the state of Maine since 1989. I also read that you built a house by hand on an island, which I want to get into later because that's 
As we all know, that's a lot of work, but to do it on an island is even more work. You established Winkleman Architecture in Portland in 2007. Your professional work has evolved over the years from a mix of commercial and residential to a practice focused solely on residential work. So I'm interested that you have a long-standing passion for handwork, that you're always making things. And how did your experience building your own house? It totally changed my perception of what I do. I started the I started my career doing hospitals and commercial work. And when I started working just residential, it became personal and much more meaningful. You're dealing with people's dreams, and it sounds kind of corny, but it's it it's really kind of touches you, and it really gives a good purpose. Um, and then taking on the construction of my own house, I was exceedingly naive about what it would take. I'm special. I can make it happen in a year, whereas mm-hmm. actually it took seven. Seven um, Yeah, a lot of, uh, um, it'll be one more year, honey, and then mm-hmm. we'll have it done. Um, but it was a fantastic education because it, caught, tossed what a, it taught what a quarter inch means and how to plumb and square wall when you're framing. Um, we bought tools, didn't have um, paid labor, money for labor, so um, had friends f- kind of pile in and help. So it was a fantastic education and it really informed, you know, I have my own leaks and you learn and you learn and you learn. I'm, I'm on an ocean front setting and so wind-driven rain, we, be, we need to build boats by and large. Um, and so in building my own house, I kind of made my own bed and had to sleep in it in terms of a complicated form, challenging to make. And how have you translated that experience to dealing with clients and how they interact with space? Well, every the nice thing about being a residential architect is that you learn from your own experiences. We all live in homes by and large. And so we learn from our own experiences of what works and what doesn't, what what is socially kind of clicks and what gives private private away spaces. Everyone's different in terms of what they're looking for, but it's a really good base to then start working with a client and be able to understand really what they're talking about. Um, we all go back to our personal references. Um, and so having crafted our own home that was you know, view-driven and relating to the outside and trying to work with daylight, um, the first thing I see are the flaws that were built in, sort of learning things, right? Um, and one of, the, one of my big educators in, in doing my own house was learning the power of daylighting. And, you know, it's always kind of talked about, and you always kind of do some big windows to the south and stuff. But um, Well, it is one of the first things you notice when you walk into a space that you like. You don't know why you're liking it, but often it has to do with the light. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and a lot of times it's just an intuitive thing. You can't articulate what it is, but it's a wash of light. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsor, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, maker of Dr. John's Brainola cereal. Find them on the web at orthopedicspecialistsme.com. What we're all talking about today is vision, and vision can be defined in many ways. You've been crafting a particular kind of vision for 30 years. So I'm, I'm interested in two things. The first is when you walk into a space that a client wants changed, what do you see? So my first take on, a, on evaluating a space is to essentially zoom out and evaluate it in plan. Um, because functional plan is the bottom line, the starting point for anything. 
um, when either, either you go and look at an existing situation, existing structure, or you're starting fresh, you're starting new. Um, you have to have a plan that responds to its context, its daylighting, its what's public, what's private. Um, and then on interior, internal relationships of how do they want to socially connect, how direct are they, or how filtered are spaces. Um, and that's all planning. So good planning is fundamental and core to any residential work. Then at that point, whether it's contemporary or it's traditional, that's something you can layer on, if you will. Well, and that's interesting for the second part of my question, which is, you've been doing this for a long time, and we live in a very traditional New England state with a lot of traditional architecture. So where have we been, and where do you see us going, either in new new buildings or revamping old yeah, buildings? Yeah. Um, it's what, I've been doing the residential thing for like 20 years plus, and it's been a slow evolution of more and more interest in kind of clean, contemporary might be the right word, but you can't over, you, you, I don't want to overstate how much of that there is here, because there isn't that much. Um, Maine Home has actually done a really nice job of pulling together the, the pockets of that that's been happening and you can kind of see it and touch it and forms a community. Well, kind of uh, like what Dwell has yes, done. Yes, and okay. I'll just uh, let our listeners know that Maine Home and Design is the sister publication to Maine Magazine, which is why Will is yeah. part of Maine Magazine Minutes. Yeah. And Will, you've been featured in the magazine at least twice from what I understand. Is that so? Yeah, I've had a couple things. And one of them maybe the, cover? Um, yeah. Go ahead. And, and so actually one of those um, is a good example to talk about contemporary design and to what extent Maine has evolved that way, or traditional, which is really the base of what happens here and what gets nurtured here and what, what clients really want. Um, and so it's, it's evolving a little bit, but as a rule, Maine, you know, we start with the state, it's geographically gorgeous. And we're blessed with having these incredible sites that are woods and islands and coastal and lakes and, and even urban settings where, that are really kind of special and, and unique. Um, but the main tradition of sort of, of forms and image really are what draw people here. And so that's part of the mystique that fits in that geography. And what I've found is, you know, as an architect in Maine, you have to be um, uh, fatally optimistic. Um, you know, find the opportunity in the ordinary. And as a rule, we've been really successful at doing it. And um, taking someone who wants, frequently will get a request to have something built new that looks like it's been there for 50 years. Right. The summer cottage. Yeah, yeah. and and, um, and if you embrace the if embrace the notion and really go for it, and put your heart into pulling it off, then you layer in your daylighting, your manipulation of space, so that it's you gives that special character that um, a box may not otherwise have. Um, layering of space, um, um, layering of scale of space, and, and fenestration and and daylighting. Those are all the tools that you can kind of take something that's traditional and make it feel special. Well, and I would say uh, I've been lucky enough to visit Dr. Lisa at her offices, which are above a waterfall, and there are different spaces, as you're saying, in Maine that just naturally are gorgeous, but also really impact what's being done inside the space and the people inside the space. How does 
manipulation of space impact the way people feel on a day-to-day basis? No, it's a really intuitive thing. Um, you know, you, th- you think about um, if, if you've bought a home and it's got a dysfunctional plan and it's dark and the side of the house that has windows that face a neighbor and you kind of feel claustrophobic. But you always know that they're just gloomy. Yeah, you, you don't feel settled. You're not sort of nested, if you will. And, and it, different, some people can live, in, live out of their car and don't notice, right? Um, whereas other people, and that's what tends to come to an architect, I presume, for a custom-designed home or whatever, um, they're nesting. And to nest and settle in, there are layers to it, but um, it's all about being feeling settled and comfortable. You know, it, it's interesting in terms of, you know, I talked about planning. Um, really the way I kind of work is once you've zoned out the relationship of spaces to the outdoors and the view and the environment, once you're orienting, orienting the living space, say, intuitively it's not take a box and fill it with furniture. It's where's the intuitive center of gravity? Where do you want to sit? Where's your view? Where's your light? Where are you kind of owning the moment? Build your furnishing around that and then wall it, wall around it. Um, and so it's an inside out, kind of a tailored That's so interesting. Approach. It's almost like your house or your home becomes an extension totally, yeah. of your body. Yeah. And you know, I hadn't thought of it this way, but the nesting thing really does play into that because again, it's kind of creating that environment where you just feel really safe and you know, and the wellness is sort of part of your show's absolutely you know thing, and it really kind of fosters that. So it's all connected, actually. I'm lucky. I love what I do for my living, right? If our listeners out there, or anyone wants to get in touch with you or your firm, how do we go about doing that? Um, the website is the is everything. It's uh, www.winkarc. W-I-N-K-A-R-C-H. And there's also quite a beautiful portfolio of your previous work, so people can get a great taste of what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just have to ask this. Are you Mm. from Maine? Memphis, Tennessee. Really? (laughs) I got rid of my southern accent a long time ago. And so what has caused you to come and stay? Um, You know, it was interesting. I I moved here in... um, when I was 27, I'm 53 now, so I've been here a while, and I moved from San Francisco. And um, I moved out to Peaks Island the, f- the f- second summer I was here, and I've been there ever since. So it really keeps me here. It's Maine is so fantastically, I always, I always kind of believed if there's this place called Vacation Land, if it's so spectacular, people want a vacation there, why wouldn't you want to live there year round? Exactly. So I kind of found an extreme, you know, an island. It's like, and that's kind of worked. It, it commutes easy enough. Now right? the house is finished, right? Uh, yeah, maintenance cycle. Right. right. <laughs> now, now, now there are all those learnings about building inexpensively and maintenance cycle. And boy, you barely bring those forward to your practice. You know, a lot of clients want the no maintenance thing. And boy, do I get it. Well, that's another interesting point. Maybe we'll end on that, that, that the art of architecture is a practice. You're all, and also maintaining and living in a home, and we're all practicing all the time. Truly, truly, <laughs> yeah, constantly learning. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. It's been really interesting to hear this idea of health and wellness from a very different perspective. Well, excellent. Yes, thank, thank you, you Will. Yeah, thanks. The exceptional work of Winkleman Architecture is featured in the Architecture issue of Maine Home and Design magazine, the sister publication to Maine magazine, and is available now at your local bookstore and newsstand. 
To read more about Will Winkleman and many other innovative architects working in Maine, subscribe to Maine Home and Design at themainemag.com. Each week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast, we read from the book Our Daily Tread, which was written in honor of our late friend Hanley Dunning. All proceeds from this book benefit her organization, Safe Passage, which provides approximately 550 children with education, social services, and the chance to move beyond the poverty their families have faced for generations at the Guatemala City Dump. Visit them online at safepassage.org. To purchase our daily tread, go to islandportpress.com. This week's quote comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Do not go where your path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible by the support of the following generous sponsors. Thomas Shepard of Hersey Gardner Shepard & Eaton, an Ameriprise Platinum Financial Services practice in Yarmouth, Maine. Dreams can come true when you take the time to invest in yourself. Learn more at AmeriprizeAdvisors.com and by Mike LePage and Beth Franklin, of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Each week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we have a segment we call Give Back in recognition of the fact that health and wellness are not solely the property of the individual. They're about the community and the world at large. And there are organizations out there and physicians, other individuals out there who are doing things to help give back to the community. Today, we are honored to have such a individual, Dr. Stephen Goldstein from Casco Bay Eye Care. Thank you for coming in. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, thank you for having me. Let me let me read a little bit about you because I'm I'm impressed. You've been practicing optometry since 1983, beginning as a chief of optometry and an optometrist in the United States Army. You began your private practice of optometry in 1987, and this is the part that I find really most touching because I have three siblings who have also served and served overseas. A veteran of Desert Storm, Dr. Goldstein has also received the Army Commendation Medal and the Army Meritorious Service Medal. You received your Doctor of Optometry degree from the New England College of Optometry after graduating from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst with a Bachelor of Science. I also love this part. You spend, you spend your free time skiing as much as possible and playing competitive tennis. Uh, that's correct. That was correct when I wrote it and still correct today. Good. I'm glad that we, we like the people that come on and actually sort of live their lives fully. The reason you're here today is we're talking about this giving back. Genevieve Morgan, my co-host, and I, we're, we love having people in to talk about the things that they're doing for the community. Your organization, Casco Bay Eye Care, participates in nine different local community-based programs um, in which you offer free or reduced services, including free eye exams for people who are referred through community-based health clinics, which screen patients based on income. And there are a lot of big names in these in this list of people you help. The Portland Community Free Clinic, Healthcare for the Homeless, Care Partners, Positive Healthcare, and programs at Mercy Hospital and Maine Medical Center. And you also are part of a national screening system for free eye care run by the American Optometric Association called Vision USA, which um, enables you to see patients through the Portland Public Schools and the Catholic Charities of Greater Portland. This is a big list of people that you're helping from a vision standpoint. So... Talk to me a little bit about this. 
Well, we think it's important. There's a lot of unmet need out there in the community, uh, people that, that really need eye care and just uh, falling through the uh, medical cracks. They can't quite afford eye exams and they don't quite qualify for Medicaid. And that's where a lot of these different programs uh, fit in. Uh, some, some of them are um, very specific programs. For instance, positive health care only takes care of HIV positive patients. Uh, that, that's a very specific one. But some of them are pretty general. Uh, some of these programs, for instance, Vision USA, which is a national program uh, run by the American Optometric Association, uh, requires um, an application where you you state what your income is, and then they try to match you with a provider in your area of the country um, that would be willing to see you at no charge. So you are really helping a group that needs something. I mean, if you can't see, you can't really function very well in your life. And sometimes in order to see, you need things that cost money, like glasses, even just vision screening. Uh, th that's correct. We, we, we do the um, eye exams, and this crosses all ages, too, um, from children to adults. In fact, we also participate in a, a wonderful program, another program run by the American Optometric Association called Infancy, and that's a little bit newer. Vision USA has been around for a while, and um, I can give you their 1-800 um, their number if you'd like. Oh, yeah, and, please do that. And you can that. post it on your website. Um, um, for, for people that, that feel that they cannot afford an eye exam um, and have no medical insurance, you're welcome to call um, the Vision USA program at 1-800-766-4466. Again, that's 1-800-766-4466. Or you can go to their website and download an application and fill that out and apply. But we also participate in the a program Infancy as an infant C, and it's a very specific program, um, also run by the American Optometric Association with its own website under Infant C, and where we see babies or infants from the age six months to one year at no charge. And there's quite a few providers here in the state of Maine, of which um, all eight doctors at Casco Bay Eye Care participate in. How can people learn more about the services that you offer or get in touch with your practice? Well, we have a pretty detailed website at www.cascobayi.com, um, and that lists all the offices. We have five, five offices here in Greater Portland, and we, we've been here for uh, uh, quite, a t quite a long time. So we will also put that information on the Dr. Lisa website, and people can get information and call you. And they can call your office and find out about some of these these reduced cost services that you've been talking about? Yes. For, for some of the ones that are, are vetted or, or screened by um, other other um, organizations, they could um, uh, call Vision USA and apply directly. Uh, but they could call us and we would give them guidance, yes, about how to reach an appropriate local organization. Well, thank you so much for all the work you're doing and all the people that you're working with. As a family physician who deals with a broad variety of age levels, I appreciate what you're doing with the broad variety of age levels, and, and thank you for the giving back that you're doing to the community. Well, you're welcome, and thanks for having me on today. As part of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast each week, we read from my bountiful blog. My bountiful blog, as I've mentioned before, began as a means of exploring how to feed myself physically, and over time has moved to a place of feeding myself emotionally and spiritually. Every day as I write about my observations on my bountiful blog, I learn just a little bit more about myself. This week's post from the bountiful blog is called Dragon Stick, and is from August 12, 2011. 
Other people's observations often inform our own. Thus it is important, critical even, to have astute observational skills. On a recent beach walk on Mount Desert Island, my dear friend and I spent time casually studying the rocks, driftwood, and other sea treasures that comprise the artwork of the shore. He pointed out a dragon stick. I was pleasantly startled. Immensely creative, my friend embraces my whimsical side but rarely reveals his own. My friend actively engages in conversations about La Bella Luna and readily appreciates the photos I take of everyday objects that others might not consider classically beautiful. My friend has a fine aesthetic sense that seldom tips into fanciful extrapolations. Thus, when he compared a sea-worn stick to an ancient imaginary creature, I couldn't help but smile. We would do well, all of us, to approach the world with such childlike vision. All too frequently, we lose our sense of wonder as our existence becomes crowded by the cares of the adult world. It is, however, this very sense of wonder that enables us to realize our good fortune in living with this world at this time. It is this sense of wonder that allows us to experience joy over small things. It is this sense of wonder that makes our time on this planet interesting and beautiful and grippingly real. It is this sense of wonder that, when shared, transforms a sea-worn stick into a treasure and a mere existence into a life. Read this blog post and other blog posts on bountiful-blog.com. This week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we discussed the theme of vision from a variety of different standpoints. We talked about physical vision and the foods that one can eat in attempting to keep one's vision strong and healthy. We talked about the vision required to have a healthy life and the importance of eating a plant-based diet and exercising regularly and reaching back into the archives of um, medical wellness and doing what our forefathers perhaps did in order to keep ourselves healthy in the present day. We also spoke with an architect and addressed the theme of vision from the standpoint of space and light and surrounding ourselves with things that nurture us. And we finished with our give back segment describing the importance of vision and how one might find help if one is unable to see. We hope that you have been helped along in your process of maintaining vision. We hope that we are furthering the vision of health and wellness in this world. And we thank you so much for joining us here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast. Visit our website at doctorlisa.org to listen to our MP3s on a regular basis, to explore our many thoughts on health and wellness, or to find a link where you can subscribe to our podcasts. If you wish, you can also send us an email and get on our email list or be a part of our Facebook page at Dr. Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the generous support of the following sponsors. Maine Magazine, Tom Shepard of Hersey Gardner Shepard and Eaton, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Whole Foods Market, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, the University of New England, UNE, and Akari. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Editorial content produced by Chris Cast and Genevieve Morgan. 
audio production, and original music by John McCain. For more information on our hosts, production team, main magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us online at drlisa.org. Tune in every Sunday at 11 a.m. for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on WLOB Portland, Maine, 1310 a.m. or streaming WLOBradio.com. Podcasts are available at drlisa.org.